want to begin by thanking you for allowing me to come and share with your students this weekend. I've had an amazing time with your students, and it's just really great to see what God's doing in their life. And I'm confident that the great work that he's doing, that he's going to bring it to completion. And man, just to see what God's doing at this church here uh, has been really encouraging for us. Um, Unfortunately, we we travel quite a bit, my wife and I, and we go to a lot of churches that are not half as healthy as what we've seen in this church. And just excited that you guys have a faith that seems to be um, resonating, that that is thundering, trumpeting out uh, across this region. And my prayer this weekend with the students and also with you is that um, you'll not only be a uh, a lamp to the lost, a light to those that are lost, but also an example for other churches here. And so we're going to continue to pray that with you. Um, I have a wife, which is good, um, and I have four kids, and having four kids is really exciting and busy. And being a father of four, I watch a lot of children's uh, television, and I'm really disappointed because really children's programs, they've, they've gone really downhill since I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Wiggles, what, what is up with that? You know? And, and Teletubbies, oh, oh, people get paid to, to make these things, but... When I was a kid, we had guys like Bugs Bunny, yeah, Wally Coyote, you know what I'm saying? But my favorite cartoon of all time was Charlie Brown. Do you guys remember Charlie Brown, the guy with the big head, kind of like Jared? I mean, I mean but, but, but we had this really big head. It was so huge that he had, had his own gravitational pull. But, but, but I love Charlie Brown so much because he was the underdog. I mean, he was the underdog of all underdogs. He would go to kick the football and a girl would pick it up and he'd do a flip in the air. He would go and try to talk to the other girls and they would make fun of him. The guys would never pick him to be on their team. Even when he would go to school, the teacher spoke a different language. I don't know how he ever passed. They would want, 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 want. I'm not sure what language that is. I'm pretty sure it's not Greek. Um, but, but Charlie Brown, I was watching this one episode when I was a kid and Charlie Brown was in a race. And you could tell for once in his life, Charlie wanted to win. He wanted to not come in last, but he wanted to come in first. And so he began to train for this over and over and over. And as he got ready for the the race to come, they said, get on your mark. And Charlie Brown, he got that big head on his mark. They said, get set. And he got set. Snoopy's on one side, Pigpen's on the other side, Lucy and all of them. You know, when your dog is cooler than you are, it's a sad day. But anyway, Snoopy aside... They said go, and the, the little pistol went off. And Charlie Brown, with all of his heart and with all of his might and with all of his strength, wanting to win, first of all, he pulled out from all the other runners. And he began to run, and they began to just eat his dust. And Charlie Brown, as he continued the race, he realized for once he was going to win. For once he was going to come in first place. And so he began to close his eyes, and he began to think about how great it was to feel victory. He began to think about how great it was that everyone else was behind him. He began to think about the girls in the stands saying, Woo, go Charlie Brown! He began to think about the guys giving him high fives. But because Charlie Brown's eyes were closed, he couldn't see that the track curved up ahead. Now I'm one of these guys that I used to talk to the television because I thought if I talked loud enough that they could hear me on the other side. I don't do that much anymore, only during Arkansas Razorback games and Apparently they haven't been listening to me lately. But anyway, um, Charlie Brown, he, he couldn't see that the, curve, that the track curved up his head. So I began to talk to Charlie Brown. I'm like, Charlie, man, open your eyes. Dude, open your eyes. The track curved, curved, turn. But because he had his eyes closed, rather than taking the curve, Charlie Brown ran straight off the track, straight out of the stadium, and down the road. And he lost. <laughs> he lost. He didn't win. And unfortunately, I feel like that there's a lot of churches today, there's a lot of Christians that 
are kind of like Charlie Brown in that they've lost sight of the goal. They've gotten so caught up in the joy of the journey that they've forgotten about the destination. They're so focused on passing pleasures and fickle praise that they no longer hope for the person of Jesus Christ to come back down. They're so focused on this purpose-driven life that they forget that this life is passing away and that the day of our redemption is closer now than when we first believed. This weekend, the church has asked me to come in and speak on faith, hope, and love to your teenagers. And this morning, I want to focus on this idea of hope. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 13. As you're turning, let me give you the background of this letter so that you can understand uh, where Paul is coming from. In Acts chapter 17, Luke kind of tells us the story of Paul's first missionary journey. And he goes to Thessalonica, the Thessaloniki, however you want to pronounce it. And he, he gets there and he preaches. And he's probably a great pastor, a preacher, just like your pastor. And there's a great revival. There's about a three-week revival that goes on. There's many people that get saved. However, which is often the case in the New Testament, some opponents come in, some haters, and they begin hating on Paul, getting in his Kool-Aid, as the students would say. And they, be, they drive Paul out of the city. But they're not content with him being out of the city. They want him out of Dodge. And so they drive him all the way out of the region. Paul goes on and he's in Athens and he's really concerned with this new church. These baby believers. Are they going to be able to make it in light of their pagan background? Are they going to be able to make it in light of the persecution that's coming upon them by these Jews? Are they going to survive? And so he sends young Timothy back to check on them while he waited in Corinth, anxious to see if the church survived. Timothy finally comes back, and I can see Paul running up to Timothy saying, tell me about it, are they still in the faith? Are they doing okay? Are they surviving? And Timothy looks and says, not only are they surviving, but they are thriving. Man, their faith has led them to obedience. They have a love that leads them to love other people. They have this hope that's caused them to persevere with joy. Because they hope in the return of, the, of Jesus Christ. And really, 1 Thessalonians could be broken up in this idea of faith, hope, and love. And today we want to look at what Paul says about hope. So, beginning in verse 13, can we stand to honor the reading of the Word of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. This is my translation for you. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are sleeping, so that you do not grieve as the rest of those folk who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was risen, so also we believe that God will lead with him those sleeping through Jesus. For this I am saying to you by the word of the Lord, that we, those living, those remaining until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those that have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, he will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then, and then, we, those living, those remaining, together with them, will be caught up in the clouds for the meeting of the Lord in the air. And thus, always, always, with the Lord, we shall be. Therefore, continue to comfort and encourage one another with these words. And God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk uh, through this phrase by phrase, and verse by verse. Paul begins by the, with this statement, 
I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. He says this quite often. Um, Paul does not want the believers to be ignorant. And I think if he were here today, that would be one thing that he would say to us. He does not want us to be ignorant. As a Bible study teacher, I'm often surprised and dismayed on how many people in our churches today are ignorant. and We don't really know the Word of God and what God's Word says. And the fact is that we'll never be the people who God has called us to be until we read the Word in which He's called us to read. Can I say that again? We'll never be the people that God has called us to be until we read the Word in which He's called us to read. We come and we see that Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant specifically about the resurrection. For Paul, the doctrine of resurrection is probably the most important doctrine that there is. It is the basis of our salvation and it is the promise of this future hope. And when Paul would talk about resurrection, he would talk about it in three, three implications, three aspects. First of all, he would talk about the past resurrection, the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was a man and he came and he died according to scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised according to scriptures. When Paul would talk about this past resurrection, he would also talk about when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, knocked him off of his donkey. And he, was, he saw the resurrected Christ and he was converted. Sometimes he'll talk about the resurrection in the present aspect. That now we as believers, we share in the resurrection of Christ. That Jesus Christ died to sin once and for all. Amen? That we died with Christ, through baptism. Therefore, we are dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For Paul, the present idea of us sharing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that God did not come just to forgive us of our sins. He came to deliver us from them. He didn't come just to deliver us from hell. He came to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And now we live resurrected lives with Jesus Christ. So he would talk about the past. He would talk about the present. And here in this passage, he's going to talk about the future. That because Christ has been raised from the dead, that gives proof that one day, we, in the twinkling of the eye, in a moment, we will be transformed. And this corruptibility will be swallowed up in incorruptibility. These bodies that are prone to sin will have immortal life. And he comes and says, this is what I'm talking about. I don't want you to be ignorant. He says, uh, concerning, look at the next part. I don't want you to be ignorant uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Concerning those who are falling asleep. This is a nice way of saying those who have died. So often in Scripture, Paul doesn't want to use the word died because the Christians haven't died because they will rise again. And so he uses this phrase, those that are sleeping. We'll see it later in Ephesians. He'll come and he'll say, arise, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's really interesting because many of us, we're going one or three different seasons. For some of us, we're going into a season where we're losing our loved ones, be it grandparents, be it parents, whatever it may be. And for some of us, we may be in that season right now where you're losing or you just lost someone that's really close to you. Or perhaps you're coming out of a season where you've lost some loved ones, those that are sleeping. And we need to remember, we don't need to be ignorant about these so that we grieve like those who don't have hope. See, most of the pagan world during this time believed that once you died, you died. That was all she wrote. It was nothing left. There were some who did believe, Socrates, Plato, kind of that reign. It was a minority that 
believed that, yeah, there was the immortality of the soul. But for Paul, they still didn't have hope because their hope was a false hope. Even today, we have people around us that believe that when you die, that's it. There's nothing else. Then we have some that believe that when you die, that there's eternal life, but it's not based on Jesus Christ. It's based on philosophical speculation or on Oprah. But Paul comes and says, we're not like those who don't have hope or who have a false hope. Because we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have hope, not in a philosophy, not in speculation or a false religion, but in the person of Jesus Christ, the raised person of Jesus Christ. When we lived in Houston last year, my wife had a ladies' night out, and I was playing Mr. Mom. And my youngest, uh, his name is Ian, we call him Kong, he loves to jump into the bathtub. He likes to stay in the bathtub forever and ever. And so um, I put him in the bathtub, and I was sitting beside the bathtub reading while he was swimming, taking a bath. All of a sudden, I got this weird feeling, kind of like that feeling you get right before you fall out of a chair. Have you ever had that feeling? And just something wasn't right. And I looked in the bathtub, and I'm, I'm going to spare you the details, but let me just say this. Ian had bloat up in the bathtub, and it was nasty, and it was just horrific. Now, I knew I had one of three different choices. One is just to ignore him. Um, two is just to wait till his mom got home and let her deal with it. Or three, I could cowboy up and reach inside and pull him out of that muck and that mire. Well, I waited till his mom got home. Just kidding. <laughs> but I seriously thought about it. Um, but, but I loved my son so much that I couldn't let him sit in that filth. And even though it was awkward, even though I didn't like it, I picked him up out of that bathtub and I cleaned him up because I didn't want my son to be in that. Paul comes and he says, you know what? We have a father will not leave us in the mud and the mire of this world. And he will come. And our hope and our expectation is that one day he'll come and he'll pick us out of this life and this world of sin, of violence, of sickness, of death, of deviance. He'll clean us up and we will be with him. This is the proof. This is the evidence and the basis of our future hope. Look at this next part, verse 14. For since we believe, some of your translations here may say if, but in, in the original language, uh, it, it's stronger than an if. This is a sense. Um, Paul understands that these believers, they know that Christ rose from the dead. So since is probably a better translation. So since we believe that Jesus died and was raised. This phrase that Jesus died and was raised was, was a formula for Paul. It was a, a summary of the gospel. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul comes and he, he says, That which I received... I now I'll pass on to you as, as the most important. This is first, that Jesus Christ died according to Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised according to Scripture. For Paul, the basis of our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because listen, if Jesus Christ didn't die, then you're still dead in your sin. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then you have no hope. We are the most pitied of all people. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then he is a liar. He is not Lord. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then your loved ones that have died, and there is no hope for them. You'll never be with them again. But Paul comes and he says, But Jesus died, and he was risen. He was risen 
Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor on the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Or to put it in another song, that Jesus Christ became obedient even to death, even death on the cross. But God did not allow his Holy One to see decay. He did not abandon his child to the grave. But God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and gave him a name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every tongue will bow. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Therefore, you're no longer dead in your sin. Therefore, your faith is no longer futile. Therefore, you will see those loved ones who have died. You will see them again. Your faith is full. Your love is lasting. And your hope is secure. Because Jesus died and he was risen. He moves from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to our resurrection. He tells us that the who... He tells us the how and he tells us the so what. He comes and look at the, the next part in verse 15. For these things I'm saying to you by the word of the Lord. This phrase by the word of the Lord could mean by the authority of the word of the Lord. He's saying these are not my words. I didn't make this up. These are not some mythological stories that I'm telling you. But this is by the word of the Lord. This is not from Dr. Phil. This is not from Buddha. This is not from Joseph Smith. This is by the word. Of the Lord. Paul has already said to the Thessalonians, you know what's so cool about you guys? Is that when the word came, you didn't receive it as word from man because it wasn't word from man, but just as it is, the word of God. And when the word of God came to you, it came with the spirit and with power and great conviction. And so it could be Paul saying, hey, what I'm saying to you is not based on me. It is based on the authority and the power of the word of the Lord. It could be from the word of the Lord. Perhaps Paul is actually quoting Matthew chapter 24. If you remember in that context, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, give us the skinny. Give us the DL, the download. When is the end of the world going to be? And Jesus begins to tell them, and he tells them a very similar thing as what Paul is telling us here. So it could be Paul referring to, these are the words that Jesus Christ taught us when he was here. He comes and he tells us the who. First of all, he says, that, it, that those of us who are living, that are remaining until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those that are sleeping, but the Lord himself will come. And he goes on and talks about how the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we um, will be with them. We will follow after them. In this time, we, we, many of us have grown up with this idea. Um, we've grown up in church and we understand this. But during this time, these believers, they've only had about three weeks of teaching. And so Paul is continuing to instruct them and Perhaps some of them have, fought, have fallen and died since Paul was there. And they think, oh, are they going to miss out? And Paul wants them to understand that those of our loved ones who have passed away, who didn't make it into the second coming of Christ, that they're not going to be left out. Instead, they're going to have front row seats, as it were. They're going to go first. And then we, those of us who are living, then we will be caught up. And so Paul tells us the who, those that are in Christ, both those who have gone before us and those of us who remain till that day. He tells us the who. And then he tells us the how. I love this part. Look at verse 16. But the Lord himself with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, he shall descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Then we, those living, those remaining with them, we will be caught up in the clouds for the meeting of the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. He tells us the how. He says it's going to be with a shout. With the, vo- with the trumpet of the angel, the voice of the angel. 
and the trumpet of the Lord. It's really cool. We look at the background of this. Thessalonica, it was a Roman province. Back when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon and was going to try to take over Rome, um, the, the Thessalonians, they gave support to Caesar. And when he actually won, um, they became Romans. And they were really proud of this fact. And we see that there's a lot of Roman stuff going on in this. And one thing that we see is that the military background of the Roman soldiers, back when they would get ready to go into a great battle, what would happen is that there would be these great trumpets and with a lot of pomp and circumstance. And then the person at the right hand of the commander would begin to cry out, Romans, are you ready? Romans, are you ready? Romans, are you ready? Then with a voice that would make their enemies cringe with fear, the Romans in one voice would shout, Lord Caesar, we are ready. I wonder if the Thessalonians had this picture. When Christ comes, he says, Church, are you ready? Church, are you ready? Church, are you ready? The church says, Lord Jesus, we are ready. This public victory as Christ comes and gets his church, and together we have victory, and we are with him. He comes and says, this is going to be a very public event. And not only is it going to be public, but he tells us that it's going to be personal. Look at this. It says, the Lord himself. In the Greek, he actually puts the himself at the very beginning. He wants to underline that this is going to be Jesus Christ himself coming for us. He's not sending a taxi. He's, he's not sending his VIP angels. He's coming personally. I, when I come home... Um, at, from uh, the day of work, my kids have this th- this routine where as soon as I walk in the door, they come towards me running with all their energies and their voices, and they say, Daddy! And they hug me and tackle me onto the floor, and it's awesome. And I kind of have this picture that when he comes, man, we'll be going, and we'll say, Daddy, Lord, Jesus Christ. Finally, Paul gives us the so what. Not only will it be the dead in Christ and those of us who remain that will be caught up, not only will it be a great and triumphal and public experience, but now he tells us, so what? The so what is that we will be with the Lord always. It's really cool that Paul doesn't say that we'll be in heaven always. That's not his focus. See, for the, the early church, they weren't so excited about heaven being a place as it was a person. They weren't so much excited about the, the streets of gold and the pearly sea as much as they were the person of Jesus Christ, that we will be with him. And he comes and says, we need to encourage one another with these words. Encourage, comfort one another with these words, that when the crisis in the economy begins to collapse, remind each other that we will be with Jesus. And we're going through cancer and sickness and we have loved ones that are falling Remind each other that we will be with Jesus forever. In a world of violence and war, remind each other that we will be with Jesus. Encourage one another with these words. I grew up in a tradition where the second coming was held over us almost like the boogeyman. You better watch out. Jesus is coming soon. And there may be a place for this. But here, for the Thessalonians, and I hope for us, it wasn't meant to be a fear factor, but instead it was meant to encourage us. 
The early church, they got so excited about Jesus Christ coming back again that they didn't have a word in their own language. They borrowed a word from Aramaic. They didn't use a Greek word. They didn't use a Latin Roman word. But instead, they borrowed this beautiful Aramaic word that says, Maranatha, 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 Lord Jesus Come, come, quickly, hurry, hurry. Because they realized that once Jesus Christ came, once they said, Lord Jesus, we are ready, and he came, then then the lion will lay down with the lamb. Then there will be no more sickness, no more death. Death will be swallowed up in victory. It will no longer have a sting. And so they came and they said, Maranatha, they knew that once Christ came, he would trample the enemy under his feet that we would be with Him forever and that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. And so much was the sound and the aching inside of them that they weren't so much worried about the passing, passing pleasures of this world, but they said, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, come. Come. So I can be with my loved ones. So I can be with You. So that righteousness and peace will kiss. And justice will rule. The name of God will be exalted just as it is in heaven all over on earth. Church, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you closed your eyes and gotten so caught up in this race that you no longer pine and ache for the coming of Jesus Christ? I feel like today God's saying, open our eyes. Let's not put our hope in a political leader. Let's not put our hope in a political party. Let's not put our hope in anything in this world that's passing away, but let's put our hope and our passion and our desire on the person of Jesus Christ. One of the recent earthquakes in China is a story told of a father who was taking his son that morning before the earthquake hit, hit to school. His little boy, about 10 years old, was acting a little bit eerie. For some reason, he was more timid that day, and he was clinging to his father. His father took him to school and told him to go, and the boy didn't want to go. And the father said, no, no, you've got to go to school. I have to go to work. But the boy said, no, Dad, I don't want to go. And finally the, the father persuaded his son to go. And he says, but before I go, Dad, are you going to come back and get me? Dad said, of course. I always come back to get you. And he says, Dad, promise me. Promise me that you're going to come back and get me. The dad said, son, I promise I'm going to come back and get you. Little did the father know that about three hours later this earthquake would come. And it would shatter not only China, but that this schoolhouse would be turned to rubble. Immediately the dad raised from work. And he comes and he sees where his son should be. And there's just this graveyard of stones. Undaunted quickly, the father began to drop on the floor. And he began to lift these rocks one by one, saying, Son, I'm coming for you. Son, don't give up. I'm coming. People begin to come and they begin to help him. Those minutes turned to hours and those hours turned to, to, to days. People began to go off. He stood there. Rock after rock. Pushing, pulling, crying, screaming. Arms full of, hands full of blood from scratches from the rock. Continuing to say, son, I'm coming. Eventually the authorities came and said, sir, your, your son, if he's even in there, there's no way that he could survive. You need to go and you need to go console your, your family. You need to go and ch- check on your house. But the father resisted. He continued, stone after stone, to scream, Son, I'm coming. Don't give up. Finally, after one stone, he heard a muffle. He said, Son, is that you? Is that you? Another stone. And the son said, Dad! Dad! I knew you would come. Dad, I knew you would come. I told everyone you would come. Because you 
promised. Because you promised. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if economic or health earthquakes have shattered you. I don't know where you are if you're lonely, if you're scared. But I want you to know that God has promised. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus Christ says. You believe in God, believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm telling the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. And that where I am, there you may be also. Encourage one another with these words. Maranatha, church. Maranatha. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Would you just ask God, what from this message does he have for you? Perhaps the message is just to remind you to put your hope in His coming. For some of you, maybe you've taken your eyes off of Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and God is calling you to open your eyes and stop worrying about praise from people. Stop worrying about your house, your clothes, things of this world, and to fix your eyes again on Jesus Christ. For some of you, maybe you're in that season where you're losing people that you love, Maybe you have people around you that you love that have terminal illness. Or maybe you've just lost someone. You just hear God saying, hey, you know what? Don't grieve as those who don't have hope because you have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For some of you, you just need to be reminded that you're no longer dead in your sins. You're no longer a slave to sin and death. But Christ, because He died and was raised again, has given you victory. He has given you hope. He gives us a peace that goes beyond understanding. He gives us a boldness in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a world who's in an economic crisis, in the midst of a world who everything seems to be falling away. God gives us a peace and a hope that He's still on His throne. And He's still your Father. And He will not abandon you in this world. He will not allow you to stay in this mud and the mire, but one day He will come Himself and He will lift you up and He'll put you upon the rock. And we will be with Him forever. For some of you, God just wants you to long for Him. He wants you to be homesick. He wants you to desire His face. He wants you to hope. He wants this church not to be a church so focused on now, but a hope a church who longs for then. And the day we live, we live as children of light, knowing that the day of our redemption is closer now than when we first believed. That gives us an urgency to do missions. That gives us an urgency to make sure that our friends and our family knows Jesus Christ. It gives us an urgency and a longing to be with Him. Father, I just pray that Your Word would come. That it would encourage. It would challenge. It would wake us up. God, that we would know that we have victory in You. That would give us boldness and the confidence and the peace. Let us encourage one another with these words. In Jesus Christ's name.